Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. I'm Brittany. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, where we'll be discussing family in Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. Before we get into Avatar, we see in this series a few different sibling relationships. Which of those relationships is most true to your relationship with your siblings? Well, I think growing up, probably Katara and Sokka, because they bicker a lot. Mm. <laughs> like, they don't have real long-term problems with each other necessarily. They can be together a lot and get along for the most part, but then like things they do really aggravates each other. And so I think growing up, that was pretty similar. What about you? That makes sense. For me, I was thinking about Mako and Bolin, at Mm. least with my, my older brother. We get along kind of in really similar ways, but we also like... Like you're talking about with Sokka and Katara, like they're super close, right? And they seem to spend, at least when we see them in the show, like all their time together. Whereas Mako and Bolin both kind of start doing their own things, but they also really have a really strong relationship when they're together. And I think that's very true with my brother. Like I see him once every month or so, and I really love that time. And we are close at that time, but we aren't necessarily like as close as Sokka or Katara are physically. Did your brother have to stop you from doing ridiculous things and save you when you tried to get money from a gang? No, (laughs) not that I can remember. He's definitely been there for me when I've done stupid things. So, yeah, I guess you can say that's true. I've been there, too. (laughs) That's also true. Most people I know have been there at some point. All right, well, why don't we head into our discussion of Avatar? We have a quote. This is from the the third episode in book one, when Aang has just realized that he is the last airbender and that the Fire Nation destroyed the entirety of the air nomads. And when he goes into the Avatar state, Katara tries to calm him down. Aang, I know you're upset. I know how hard it is to lose the people you love. I went through the same thing when I lost my mom. Monk Yatso and the other airbenders may be gone, but you still have a family. Sokka and I, we're your family now. Aww. So sweet. Oh, Katara. And I think such a nice way to kind of start the show off, showing that Aang is, you know, orphaned in this way but that he already has this really strong relationship with Katara and Sokka. Well, and like, I think it's very Katara too to just become so committed. They haven't spent that much time, Mm. but she's like, no, I'm going to stick with the Avatar until the end, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And they do. They get married. It's cute. (laughs) They become legal family. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Not just found family. So what character do you have today? I want to talk about Zuko. Okay. So Zuko is such an interesting character because so much of his motivations come from his family. And I think that this is kind of made explicit in the last season of Avatar when he learns that his great-grandfather is was the Avatar, was Avatar Roku. And then, of course, his, his great-grandfather is Sozin, the Fire Lord. And so... He has both of those elements within him, and that, I think, makes explicit the duality of kind of what he struggles with, where from the start, it's all about kind of regaining the honor that he lost so that he can rejoin his father, right? And this kind of very family-focused relationship. And his uncle 
is also such an important part of his life. And I just think that... <laughs> like the most important part of his life. Exactly. Yeah. Or becomes the most, I guess. Yeah. And, and you see that process as well, right? Because at the beginning, the uncle seems to be there because he cares for Zuko, but not necessarily because Zuko cares much for him. And I think in particular, the second season is when you see a lot of that change where Zuko, you know, spends some time alone and then realizes how much he needs his uncle and wants his uncle to be in his life and how especially as he kind of forsakes the idea of being a prince he instead goes with his uncle for that support and yeah i just think that he's a an interesting character because families can often be things that are really supportive and helpful for you but they aren't always and at times you can learn really harmful things from your family yeah <laughs> and when you're a child, you don't necessarily know that those things are harmful. Yeah. You don't necessarily know that the lessons that you're getting and the way that your parents live their lives are not necessarily the right way to live. And I think that that can be a hard lesson to come to terms with. And one that we don't really see happen, I think, is as well done as Zuko's journey is. Because we do see him go back and forth and seem to have real intense motivations in both directions but ultimately he decides still with the help of his uncle with of family but he decides to kind of go in the the direction of compassion and goodness yeah that relationship is just so meaningful for me i just love it so much mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah and i like that it's not just like oh and you can repair the relationship with your parent mm. I mean, sometimes you can do that, and that's great, but you can't always. And, yeah, the fact that he has such a meaningful relationship with his uncle, and that can be a significant support for him, is significant, as well as as the fact that eventually Team Avatar can, can help support him, too. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, well, it kind of goes into my plot well, because I wanted to talk about, like, the Fire Nation royal family, mm. and, like how I think some of the most interesting aspects of their character development involve the dysfunctional family relationships mm. that they have. At first, when I started watching the show, I was like, ugh, Zuko's so annoying. <laughs> Such as, like, way too melodramatic, <laughs> whiny kid. He's like, I have to find the Avatar. I'm going to be mean to my uncle, mm. you know? And then when you get to the Storm episode where you actually find out why he has his scar mm. and, like, the child abuse that happened. Like, he was a kid. I think he, wasn't he, like, 14, something Maybe like that? Maybe that, yeah. His family's so <laughs> dysfunctional and his father is so horrible that he's like, oh, you challenged me. Or basically you didn't think, cool, we'll let all these soldiers die as just a tactic. Then... I'm going to challenge you to basically a fight to potentially the death. Fight to the scar. Yeah, exactly. And I'm going to like permanently scar your face and then kick you out of the Fire Nation entirely and give you a task that you can't do. And doesn't he even refuse to fight his father? Like he just stands there and takes it, which to me makes it even more abusive where it's not mm -hmm. you are in a fight with someone. Because I mean... You do have to recognize that, yeah, he had magic powers, like he's a firebender, 
but at the same time, he's I mean, nowhere he's near a, as trained. Exactly. He's still a child, and he's just standing there, you know? He's not confronting his father, and yeah, it's just, it's awful. Yeah. And at that point, then I'm like, oh, so much empathy, you know, mm-hmm. for this character. And then seeing that, the, the fact that that happened, and then ultimately him rejecting his father's approval when so much of the series he's trying to gain that yeah makes his character so interesting and one of my favorite characters because it just pulls you into the the emotion and the drama of what's happening and the choices he's making and it is understandable why he's making the choices he's making but then you also, you know, I love how it's like just snippets of their story unfold, mm. like throughout the three seasons. You know, the sibling rivalry also is very toxic in their relationship. And you see it obviously from the beginning once once they meet up with each other. But then when you get to see some flashbacks, he had a very abusive sister mm-hmm. as well. Uh, he's just so creepy and being like, Dad's going to kill you, you know? Yeah. And how much fear that could cause. And that everything in their relationship together, he can't really trust her to ever do anything that doesn't have the potential for something harmful for him. Mm. You know, even being like, oh, yeah, Zuko defeated the Avatar. But then it's like, well, I hope he doesn't come back because then everything you've gained would just disappear, you know? (laughs) Everything, I think, is dealing with, like, threats. And that's really dysfunctional. Yeah, their their whole, like, friendship in the first part of the third season is is so fascinating Mm -hmm. and weird to watch because like they go on vacation together and they do these things and you get to know both them a little bit better and their relationship a little bit better but it's still so toxic it's still so combative and she is still so evil that it's just uh it's very interesting how we see it start getting normalized for zuko until it's not Mm -hmm. until he does reach the breaking point and he can't live that way anymore which i also appreciate Mm mm-hmm also, I think she is so one-dimensional at the beginning, but then once she starts to unravel and you get to see some of the background with her mother, mm. and that was a dysfunctional relationship too. Mm. And she felt rejected and feared by her mother. She felt that that she thought Azula was a monster and how that rejection has such a powerful impact on her later when others reject her, right? Mm. And I think that the early dysfunction really does affect how you grow up and how you do everything. And like Zuko, he, you know, there are some people who can really struggle and choose to do things that are healthier in the end, but other people aren't able to do that or don't do that, right? Yeah. And I think Azula is such a interesting example of that. Not that in the flashbacks and stuff, it didn't seem like her mother was unkind, mm-hmm. per se. But, I don't know, I might be a little scared of my kid, too. Like, your, your kid is showing these antisocial personality traits. And has is, power. And has power. And is, yeah, it's just, it's really intense. And, yeah, their whole family's a big mess. 
Messed up is the right word for it. <laughs> right term. <laughs> yeah. But also, hashtag royal families. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine if they were in like a 1950s sitcom of like their family, like <laughs> the Brady Bunch or the Jetsons or something, like what they would be called. <laughs> the Fire Lords. <laughs> Fire Lords. The Scaries. <laughs> the Scaries. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we go on to our compelling questions? Okay. What's yours? I was wondering... When looking at Aang versus Korra, how do you think their respective family lives as children affected their kind of style as the Avatar? Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, huh. I think in general, Aang is more communally minded and that obviously we'd be seen in the community out of the temple and their culture and their ideologies of how they go about everything. Whereas Korra, I think, is a little more individualistic, and she grew up in this nuclear family life, and she grew up also having her avatar powers fairly clearly from toddlerhood, basically. Mm. Whereas Aang didn't. He grew up as this quote-unquote normal kid in the Southern Air Temple and grew up with all these other uh, kids and they played together and they did kid things as they trained. He was a part of a group then where everybody was more seen as equal, whereas she started out being separate already. Mm. So yeah, I think, one, we see them at very different ages, so it's a little hard to compare because we don't know what teenage avatar Aang was like true i mean maybe we'll see more of that in the comics right but also the world issues that they were dealing with were very different but yeah i think i don't know those are kind of some of my initial observations mm -hmm. what were you thinking yeah i also think that not only was cora you know a single child in this family but she was also a fairly privileged child right her her mm -hmm. father was on the council of the, the Northern Water Tribe. Wasn't he like the leader? If not the leader, one of the leaders, mm -hmm. right? So like she is a kind of nobility within this community as well. And so she has all these kinds of privileges. And I think that her general personality, but also her style as an avatar kind of influenced by that, where she is kind of more aggressive and much less communal. It even makes me think about, you know, her in in the pro-bending arena, where she kind of, like, wants to take everything on herself, you know? Mm -hmm. She doesn't form attachments, I think, as easily as Aang does. And Aang, when we meet him, already has friends from every nation. When he's a kid, he had friends in the Fire Nation and, and Boomy in the Earth Kingdom and all these other kinds of things, you know? He mm -hmm. was someone who, just on his own, was so kind of diverse in the people that he interacted with. Whereas I think she is kind of much more focused on herself and wanting to get things done in a more kind of direct way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and she just goes in and is like, I should be able to do these things that I want. Exactly. I'll be able to feed Amon right now. It's totally yeah. fine, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Let me at him, basically, mm. where, where Aang is going to commune with the other past avatars and mm -hmm. ask for their advice and things like that he yeah i think he relies so much more on his support group for their input and their help yeah 
I think it's telling that, you know, the chakra that he's unable to unlock is the one of letting go his relationships, letting go his love for Katara is something that he cannot do or he has very difficult trouble doing because he is so kind of communally minded. I don't think that Korra would have had that same problem. Yeah, agreed. What's your compelling question? So my question is, where do you see Avatar, like, complicating family relationships in relatable ways? It doesn't have to be relatable to you specifically, yeah. but, like, not everyone can relate to Having a royal a, family yeah. who people are trying to kill each other. <laughs> I think one of the interesting ones is looking at the Beifongs. Mm-hmm. And specifically at how the sisters kind of have great love for each other, but also are so competitive because, you know, they're always competing for their mother's attention. And that kind of led into them having very divergent lives and perspectives and being very comfortable going head to head when they disagree on things. Yeah, I was thinking about them a lot too. Like, they had such an estranged relationship that they hadn't, like, seen each other in, like, 30 years. Mm -hmm. And... It was just really interesting because they both have different fathers and they don't know who their fathers are. I mean, obviously that can be a common occurrence, right, mm-hmm. in, in the life of people. But I think it's also interesting that because Toph's parents were so strict and overbearing, then mm-hmm. Toph was just like, ah, do whatever you want. You have mm-hmm. all the freedom in the world. And I think that that can be a thing that happens with people. Where it's like, oh, I have to undo some things that my parents did that weren't great, but like in such an extreme opposite way that it's not helpful. But I also like, I really liked how it just showed that like Toph was not a good parent Mm. because... You see her as this kid, and it's like, you know that she would not grow up to be a good parent. Like, totally. that's just not how it would be. And, like, there are plenty, plenty, plenty of people in this world who are not good parents, and they shouldn't have been parents because they are not good parents, and they would not be good parents. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to have kids anyway, you know. And and I like that that was in there because it just felt very real. Absolutely, yeah. Toph is such a, a kind of self-assured person who and I think... selfish person. Totally, yeah. yeah. And so much of her conflict with other people comes from the fact that she expects them to act the way that she would act and looks down on someone who doesn't. Mm, totally. And I can't imagine a parent doing well there, right? <laughs> and, and I mean, that, that goes into those kinds of relationships of parents who want their children to just be like them or to succeed in the ways that they succeeded or to value the things that they valued. And that's not always the case, mm-hmm. you know? Absolutely. Which is part of the reason I don't know if I would be a good parent. <laughs> <laughs> be better. <laughs> Why do you like sports? <laughs> There are books right here. (laughs) But I also think it's interesting with, like, Katara and her dad versus Sokka Hmm. and their dad. Because Sokka is just, like, wanting his dad to be proud of him. And wanting to try to follow in his dad's footsteps. Whereas Katara has a while where she's just angry at her dad and doesn't want his help she felt like he abandoned them Mm. like their mom had died had been murdered and then their dad leaves 
and they have no communication, no contact with him for a while. And yeah, just that I don't want to get close to you anymore because this is what happened. And that kind of tension I think is interesting too because siblings don't always interact with their parents the same ways and sometimes one is like no but this was wrong or this was hurtful and the other one's just like i'm okay with it you know and yeah i think that that's very real absolutely just good creators on the show (laughs) it is i what i didn't particularly love though was ang and his kids when you find out like a lot of like problems Mm. with that i i think that the idea of the kids feeling like Tenzin was the favorite, that makes sense. Yeah. Because Aang did have to spend so much more time with him because he He's was going to be the last airbender. airbender yeah. Right? So that part makes sense, but also not because I don't know. Even though that can be a very relatable thing, I guess I don't really feel like that's in Aang's character. Like, he's just so... Even in, like, the worst of times, he would find ways to joke and be playful and think optimistically. And I just can't really imagine him, like, neglecting some of his kids. I feel like he would just be, like, trying to play with airbending with all of them or teaching all of them about the culture, right? It wasn't only airbenders who were a part of the air nomad community. Even, like, Pema, she's not an airbender. And so... I feel like he would involve all of them in that culture, you know? So it wasn't completely believable to me because I think Aang is so communally minded and is so caring for people in general. So even though I think those things that the siblings were dealing with were relatable, I don't, I still don't feel like it's completely in character, if that makes sense. Yeah, but I think there's there's a large gap between spending more time with one child and neglecting your other children. Like, I think that they could read into something, and whether it's true or not, whether he actually spent more time with them or not, is different than the way that they felt, right? It could very well be not something that Aang did, but again, kind of the feelings that festered based off of their, the way they interpreted, kind of. Sure, I mean, people can always interpret things differently, but I don't know, just in a couple of those episodes. Some things rubbed me a little wrong with how I felt like mm-hmm. it probably would have been. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, so why don't we move on to your missed opportunity? Sure. I think my missed opportunity is in regards to the reestablishment of the Air Nomads in Legend of Korra. We see from the flashbacks to Aang's childhood this kind of communal living, right? That he is raised by a group of monks with a number of other children, and that they have this kind of uh, this relationship that's outside what we consider the nuclear family and mm-hmm. your biological family. And obviously, this changes with the initial biological re- reproduction of the air nomads, with you know Tenzin being the last airbender until his children are born, which he has to build much more of a kind of biological society. And there are other people who are involved in the culture, but that the air bending itself is still biological until this expansion, right? Until mm-hmm. this explosion where all these people start getting air bending. And I just think that it would have been really interesting to see them grapple with what that means for them as a culture. That Tenzin never experienced this idea of a communal culture the way that Aang did, and yet it's up to him to kind of reinstate it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And so seeing how he and the Air Nomads are so centered around his family, I think it would be an interesting tension to look at him trying to build family in ways that are outside that biological family as he's trying to kind of shepherd this new community and this new culture. Yeah, I know for sure. Mine was also about the air nomads in general because Mm. we get to see a little bit in like the flashbacks, but we don't really get to see a lot. And I know that two of the, I think the east-west temples were female airbenders and the north-south, I think, were male airbenders. Oh, interesting. And so like, yeah, I just want to know how like all of these different things work, you know? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I love that it's, you don't need to have an episode where he's like, who are my real biological parents? You right. know, like he, it's, it's a non-issue. Totally. That's not family for him and his culture. And, and I love that. And I wish, yeah, we got to see a little more of that. And I wish we got to see maybe sometimes his ideas coming to a head, maybe mm-hmm. with how the others have you know experienced family for them someone like Zuko who has all of these very problematic relationships with his family and then yeah just be really interesting and really interesting to see how raising kids in an environment where there's just like a bunch of parents Mm -hmm. um, and a bunch of parents who are all the same gender um, at these different temples and yeah I think it is interesting once you get into the towards the end of, of Legend of Korra, where you have Tenzin trying to reinstate everything that he learned mm. from Aang, but all of these people are coming from their own cultures and their own families and their own ways of doing things, and it just it doesn't fit. You have to kind of adapt to something else, but yeah, it's just it's a very interesting idea and uh, very interesting also i wonder about like how pema felt coming into this air temple island <laughs> because she's not from an <laughs> air nomads because they all died so yeah absolutely yeah. or even katara right like did her and mm-hmm. ang have to have a discussion at some point of what it will be like if they have children did ang come and be all like well i'm used to Children being raised communally, not, exactly. you know, just between two parents. Two parents? That's nowhere near enough, right? <laughs> right? Uh, I think that would be a really interesting thing to see as well. Uh, that would be really interesting. And I think it also makes it really interesting, too, that you see when Katara and Sokka come across their dad again. You know, he lies to them so that he can try to separate them, essentially, because mm. he was scared that they were just going to abandon him and he was going to have to go on his own and after he had just found out he had no family anymore Mm -hmm. and no extended family for all of airbenders in general and yeah you could see why he would just be like oh yeah katara and sokka were eating together we're living together we're traveling together like they're my family now Mm -hmm. and then to have that come to a head with people who are very close to somebody in like that's biological family and just kind of feeling threatened by that yeah a consumption that that he probably understands but has never experienced himself Mm -hmm. yeah well then i guess we should go on to our takeaways what's yours yeah i think one thing that came to mind was how in avatar the last airbender 
most of the crew, most of Team Avatar, is in some way orphaned. Aang is obviously very orphaned. Katara and Sokka's father left and mother died. Toph runs away from her family. And Zuko is has a very complicated <laughs> history and relationship with his family. And so maybe orphaned is the wrong word, but in some way separated Estranged. from their family. Strange is a great way of putting it, yeah. And so that I think is important for many coming of age and, and young children's tales, right? Look at Harry Potter, look at Spider-Man, right? Mm-hmm. All these very characters who often suffer those kinds of familial separations. But it's just interesting to see Team Avatar as all kind of coming at this from different perspectives. Some of them chosen, some of them not. But the way that they are all in some way estranged from their families in some way unites them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, what's your takeaway? Yeah, so my takeaway, I think, is, I don't know, I'm just kind of interested in more communal living, because I've never really researched much about that, how family structures influence upbringing when Mm. the family is not a small unit, Mm. and more like a small town, or, you know, whatever it would be, uh, a temple, or whatnot. So it's just a very interesting idea to me because not that we can be like, oh, well, if Avatar does it, then that means it's true. (laughs) But like, Aang's the most well-adjusted of all of them. Mm. And when you have one or two parents there, if one or both are destructive or dysfunctional in any ways, that has such severe ramifications for the person. Whereas if you have 20 people who are all adults, who you can be close to all of them in different capacities, it just seems like it would create a lot more stability. Not that Aang wouldn't have been most sad about Gyatso dying, Mm -hmm. but if Gyatso had died and maybe half of them had died, but he still had other ones that he still knew and grew up with, he still would have felt like he had some family there. So yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting that he is the most positive and the most loving i think of the characters in general and yeah he grew up in this very non-traditional in in our society way of doing things yeah Yeah. it makes me wonder if that kind of diffuse responsibility also increases like oversight and accountability of parenting Right. right when when everyone is parenting all the children one parent who is abusive or is manipulative or is a bad parent in some other way is not going to be able to stay in that position because they're going to be like no stop doing that exactly that does not go along with our value of all life is sacred so Mm -hmm. you need to stop or leave you know yeah and like you have the authority to say stop doing that to our child right Mm -hmm. whereas legally and culturally you don't have that kind of authority coming into another person's family in our society yeah where if it's their biological child in particular they have a lot of legal and cultural protections about being able to treat that child badly right yeah and again i haven't studied it either but i wonder if that would lead to at least some positive advantages to that type of community as well yeah and it's it's an interesting idea how selfless Aang can be in so many ways yeah he didn't grow up like oh I'm the star child of my two parents you know he grew up with 
we're all the kids here learning and growing and playing and... Let me show you how to do this cool air trick. And we'll all play together. Exactly. You know? Yeah, maybe maybe part of why he, even though being the Avatar and learning the Avatar, he's the Avatar when he's 11, mm-hmm. he's still so humble in so many ways because he didn't grow up with, you know, I'm more important than other people. And, and for the airbenders raising him, he wasn't more important than the other airbending children there. Whereas in our society or in the culture of nuclear families, your kids are the most important kids in the world, Mm -hmm. which I think is unequivocally false. But, you know, that's not how most people think. (laughs) Yeah. I also now just want to juxtaposition of like Aang's reaction when he finds out he's the Avatar mm-hmm. next to Kors just being like, woo, I'm the Avatar. Like, Deal with it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> when he's like, oh no, I'm the Avatar. I'm going to be separated from these people. I don't want that to happen. Yeah, <laughs> she's just already like using firebending and fighting and such. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah. Well, can you bring up what we'll be talking about next week? Okay, so we're going to be going back to Star Wars in a normal Star Wars episode, because last time we did our special episode on Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And so we are going to look through the theme of justice. Great, justice in Star Wars. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find us on social media by searching for Geek Between the Lines on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, or Twitter. Or you can send us an email at geekbetween at gmail.com. You can go to our website at bit.ly slash geekbetweenthelines, or you can go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines, where you can get access to all sorts of extra content and special episodes. We want to thank Kimberly Teo Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or search them for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Until then, geek, geek out! out.